I'm Nidhi Tiwari. And I'm Billy Samoa. And this is Relearned. Conflict Relearned. One of the most dreaded interactions that we have in our relationships is navigating conflict. It can bring up so much anxiety for ourselves. And we may try to avoid it at all costs, or we may even get aggressive or overly provocative in the way that we're trying to navigate conflict with people that we love, as well as the people that we work with in the workplace. In today's episode, we're going to be breaking down what conflict is, why conflict isn't always a bad thing, and how we can successfully navigate conflict both in and out of the workplace. Well, there's one thing I know we've all found ourselves in a conflict at one point or another in our life. So let's start, as we usually do, with a definition. This is good old Merriam-Webster's definition. So the first definition is pretty simple, a fight, battle, or war. Second definition is competitive or opposing actions of incompatibles, antagonistic state or action as of divergent ideas, interests, or persons. And then the last way it's described is a mental struggle resulting from incompatible or opposing needs, drives, wishes, or external or internal demands. So what do you think of that definition? Does one of those definitions hit you more than the other? The one that hit me the most is actually the first definition, which is a fight, a battle, and a war. I was like, oh my God. Oh my goodness. This is what everybody thinks about when we think about conflict. Like we're preparing ourselves to enter into a battle with the other person that we're in conflict with. The second definition where it talks about opposing action of incompatibles. If you listen to the language in these definitions, that word incompatible or opposing comes up multiple times. And I understand, right? Because conflict does entail some level of discord. But I don't really believe that conflict always has to be about incompatibility, that the resolution is getting to a place of compatibility, of common ground, of common understanding. And every time I work with leaders and clients on navigating conflict, part of the dread comes from amping themselves up for the fight, to have to batten down the hatches and dig their feet into the ground and stand by their points. And I think what we're going to be looking at today and what people are going to come away with is that conflict is much more about finding the middle ground than it is about standing on our opposing sides. I love, love, love the way you're leading this off because conflict isn't about holding your ground, sticking to your guns and fighting for your and only your opinion or viewpoint. It's actually more about understanding the other person's viewpoint so that you could find wait for it, compromise. You need to compromise. Like the way in which you actually resolve a conflict is by understanding and coming to a mutual agreement of how you move forward beyond that conflict. It's also really important to remember that conflict is actually a natural part of how we interact as humans. We're not going to agree with everybody. We're not going to have the same opinion. We're going to have sometimes polarizing viewpoints. So the goal is not to eliminate conflict, but actually it's how do we manage it? How do we not just survive through conflict? How do we thrive through conflict? So how we manage it is really what's important. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to effectively communicate. We're going to talk about how to leverage empathy and 
use our own emotional intelligence, which is a topic we've talked about in the past. And ultimately, we want to create healthy relationships by being able to navigate through conflict, not avoid it because we don't want to avoid conflict and not just think of conflict as a battle, which is what your point was. It's the the first definition stood out because it's a battle. And I think we could maybe rethink the way we think about conflict. So it's not a battle, but it's really a compromise. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that it's actually how we as a species have gotten to where we are today. If we didn't have conflict, then we would be warring over resources. We'd be warring over partners. That conflict and our evolution actually go very much hand in hand. And that some scholars have explored these roots, suggesting that it's actually an adaptive way that we move through the world. And I think that the way that we're relearning this is, I know that when I was growing up, I was always taught that you just kind of get along with people to the best of your ability. You don't want to rock the boat too much. And unfortunately, what happens is that the conflict no longer is external. It becomes internal. So now the conflict you're feeling is between feeling upset or frustrated about something, resentful about something, and not feeling like you can communicate it because of this fear that develops around conflict that you don't want to, quote unquote, rock the boat. And I think that it's so important that we acknowledge the fact that we wouldn't be where we are as a society and as a species if we didn't learn how to navigate these relational dynamics in our day-to-day lives. Right. That's so true. And the other thing to think about is not all conflict's bad. Like you've said, we actually need conflict. And Most people, when you think of conflict, it's got a negative connotation, but actually conflict does not inherently have a negative outcome. Sometimes conflict has a very positive outcome. And so we have to remember that it can lead to increased awareness about a situation or about a topic. It can help to create a better alignment with how we collaborate, how we cooperate with one another. And it could definitely, and trust me on this, it could definitely improve relationships. I mean, I'll just take my own personal life. I've been married for over 15 years to celebrate our 15th anniversary. I think I told you we went down to Cabo. And the thing I think about about our relationship, it's not perfect. Like we're married. It's not perfect. Marriages rarely are the kind of quintessential, everything's perfect. But one thing we do is we reconcile. When we have a fight, we try to come to terms on, hey, why we had the fight, but also how do we avoid having us come to blows if we don't need to? How can we resolve it without escalating to that point? And I think part of it comes down to a mutual understanding. And the more you are able to understand the the people around you, the fewer conflicts escalate to where they become a battle or a war. I think the point here is that you can have what we'll call a mini conflict, a small conflict, which is almost pre-battle or pre-war. And the way in which you resolve a conflict faster than it escalating to that point is through that shared understanding. Not only do you need to understand them, you need to help them understand you. Both are important and they're not mutually exclusive. I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is on us to learn how to articulate our needs to other people. 
We can't rely on people to read our minds. And when we get into a conflict with somebody, it's often because there is a root misunderstanding that's happening. And the root of that is that we didn't communicate appropriately or we made assumptions about the other person. And I think it's so important that we develop that skill set around how do I first touch into what it is that I need, why I'm feeling upset about something, why something is bringing up strong emotions. And then how can I communicate that to my partner, my friend, my leader in a way that is going to be received? Because what you're saying is so true. When you're able to resolve a conflict, which Alan and I, my husband and I get into conflicts all the time. I mean, it's just part of marriage. We've been married for what, seven years and been together for 16, right? Same as you. It's it's a really difficult process initially to navigate because you're feeling each other out. You don't know exactly what each other's trigger points and areas of hurt are. But as you learn each other and as you learn ways to calm yourself down and then reapproach the conversation, then you can move forward. The biggest mistake I see couples make is that when they face conflict, they sweep it under the rug. And they think that relationships are supposed to be just this fun, hunky-dory, like la-la-la all the time, Pollyanna situation, and it's just not the case. And in fact, the people who sweep the problems under the rug end up tripping on those same problems later on because the same issues will cycle back through, the same patterns will arise all over again unless you come to that place of resolution. I was laughing a little bit because I look at the two of you and in my mind, it's pure bliss. You do really have a beautiful, beautiful relationship with Alan. And although I'm not there every day to monitor, it seems like you guys have just really crystallized having a a solid, rock solid relationship. And yeah, even you are going to have some conflicts. But where I chuckled where where you said at first, I can't claim to have completely solved the riddle. Sometimes we still do get to an escalated situation. But the thing to remember also is what good could come of anything? And I always try to look at things through an optimistic lens because life's too short to do it any other way. And so, you know, there's actually been a lot of studies on this. Interestingly enough, conflict can be a catalyst for creativity. Conflict can be a catalyst for innovation. Conflict can help with problem solving. And so, I don't care if it's in your relationship, your love life, or at work. How do you take the conflict that exists and how do you channel it in a positive and productive way? And so I look at my journey even just in the last few weeks, and I've had some conflict in some of my work relationships. Super candidly, it actually has helped. We've gotten more creative. We've actually figured out some things that we were doing wrong. and. Yeah, it hurt. It stung a little bit when it happened, but in the long term, we're better for it. And that the old adage, as much as I hate it, it doesn't kill you, make you stronger. There is some truth to that. And I think it's layered in things like this, where if you can be better as a result of whatever is happening and conflict being one of those, whatever is happening, guess what? It's made you better. That's That's a good thing. I think about all the times where I really believed something so strongly and I got into a conflict with somebody about it and that the greatest learnings came out of the conversations that I had as a result of that conflict because I was so assured that my perspective was the only perspective that it's so black and white. 
but it just isn't that way. 99% of things in this world are just not all or nothing. And so by opening up myself to receive what other people had to share, even if it was difficult to hear those things, I grew as a result of those conversations. And it strengthened my relationships with those people. As you were mentioning, it really did enhance the and deepen the relationship. And it created within myself a bit of change. And this is how movements happen, right? If we're all just constantly in agreement with one another, how do we progress as a society? There are so many people out there that are needing help or needing assistance, but certain segments of our world don't necessarily believe that they deserve that support and that assistance. So how can we create social change if we don't have these difficult conversations? And I just think that the more that we can lean into it as opposed to pull away the better and stronger all of our relationships with one another will be. I love what you said, specifically the part about leaning in. I think this is true in life. Lean into most things. When we lean into things, one, we're overcoming our fears. We're embracing it as opposed to pushing it away. And ultimately, we have a situation where we're not resisting the thing that's happening. Instead, we're pulling it towards us. And I think that's a healthy place to be. So the other thing that's really interesting is that and there's been studies to prove this, it helps with your decision-making. So people who are more often in conflict situations, they actually get better at making decisions. They may be a little bit more risk-adverse, so they're going to be slightly more cautious, which isn't a bad thing. It makes your decisions more calculated. When you make your decisions haphazardly, there's a very good likelihood, or at least a decent likelihood, they're not going to be good decisions. But if you're careful and calculated and you're you're actually thinking through things. You've been through situations before and you're using that calculus to ultimately determine how you make your decisions. You're going to be a lot better off than making decisions with haste. And it doesn't mean you need to take a long, long time because I'm not, I'm not a proponent of that either. It just means that you take a beat. You take a moment. You reflect. And the input that you have comes from conflict, comes from those situations where you're forced to make some decisions because of the tense or high pressure situation you're in where there could be some consequences. Absolutely. And I wanted to really underscore what you're saying about taking the beat, because what I find people do is that they react from an emotional place. They're in the midst of feeling a type of way about something that's happening. They're angry. They're frustrated. They're just ready to go. And they operate from that place. And the taking a beat calming yourself down, reflecting on what it is that's really underlying your true feelings, underlying this reaction is going to help you to make those decisions and to be more cautious. We will burn bridges if we are operating from a reactionary place. So we have to be able to be measured, respond, but don't avoid it. Face it head on and make a decision that's going to be aligned with what you desire and the resolution that needs to happen. Yes, you got it. And I think in order to do that, in order to be able to not only have all the inputs, but also make sure that you're understanding, it comes down to active listening. If you are in a situation where a conflict is arising, you're going to be in a situation where you got to use your ears. And not just use them, but really, really make sure that your understanding 
what that other person is saying, why they're saying it, where they're coming from. And in order to navigate the situation you're in, if you don't do that, only half the story is being told and it's your story, your part of the story, which misses everything. And the other part to it is that because we live in an age where conflict might not just be face-to-face, conflict very often can heat up. And this is one of the things that happened to me recently because of an email. We have the digital age is like, it's ripe for conflict because guess what? You don't hear the tone. You don't hear the way in which something says jokes may be taken seriously. A text, an email, social media post could all be misperceived. And so if you don't take the time to understand the other person, either by actually picking up the phone and calling or meeting with them face to face or doing something to allow you to have a little bit more synchronous communication, you might be missing what's happening. So have a synchronous conversation as opposed to asynchronous conversation. The other thing I'll say is adopt policies to allow you to have a more likely chance that conflict won't unnecessarily arise. One of the things I've infused into into my team and my organization, and along with my my co-founder, is no negative emails. If you have something negative to say, call, do a Zoom, do something where it's, if there's feedback and it's kind of harsh or critical, much better to do that in a synchronous conversation than asynchronous, especially if you're not sure the words you're choosing are the right words. Just a little tip on how to avoid it. That makes so much sense. When I've gotten emails from mentors before that were giving me criticism, I was literally reading into, did they end with a period? Was there an exclamation point somewhere in there? Like I was trying so desperately to figure out, was this a kind tone of friendly reminder? Here's this thing that you missed. Or is this a reprimand that you messed up and you need to be paying attention? And I think part of why it brings up so much anxiety and why we read so much into these communications is that conflict evokes an anxiety response within us. It activates our fight, flight, freeze response. And so when we are in a conflict with somebody, when we feel that somebody's upset with us, that we're receiving that criticism, it activates this primal system within us that shuts down our critical thinking. It puts us on edge. And we're not able to effectively navigate the situation. This has tremendous repercussions because if we avoid the conflict, what we've seen, according to Forbes, is that if we avoid the conflict, what we found, according to Forbes and the workplace, is that 2.8 hours each week is spent trying to navigate and cope with and make sense of conflict within the workplace. And that is costing corporations and companies $359 billion in hours paid that are filled with discord, conflict, and miscommunications with one another. So it's an imperative that we learn the skills and the tools to manage this and that leaders have to be leading the way in conflict resolution so that they can model for their teams what that looks like. That's why I so appreciated what you were saying a moment ago about not giving the critical feedback via email because you're modeling for your teams that the relationship really matters, that you care about their feelings. You want to show up from an empathetic standpoint and you want to make sure that you're showing up as your best self and communicating in a way that will be well-received by them. And also so that you can address any concerns that come up for them 
in real time. So in a minute, we're going to get into the solutions, which is the fun part. And before we do, I think we got to really understand the anatomy of conflict because anatomy actually follows what's known as the conflict escalation curve. And conflict tends to follow this predictable curve. And here are the parts. It usually starts with frustration. Then there's a dispute and it can lead to a crisis. This curve helps to illustrate that if you don't properly manage conflict, it can intensify over time and it could lead to crisis. So how do we avoid that from happening? Let's get into the how. What should we be doing to help to manage crisis? The first step to managing conflict is to recognize that conflict is a mirror. It's shining a light on what's happening internally for you. We often think about conflict as about the other person. They're doing this thing that's upsetting me, or they said this thing that hurt my feelings. But our responses are driven by our own past life experiences. So to develop the self-awareness and the insight around what's really happening, we have to look at conflict as a mirror. So conflicts are going to reveal your values. They're going to reveal your triggers. They're going to reveal your areas for personal growth. And instead of avoiding them, instead of trying to bury your head in the sand, embrace it. Do the self-reflection. Don't turn away from it. Look at what's coming up for you. Take note of it. And then that'll inform what you actually need. Your triggers are the gateway to the expression of your needs. So lean into it and reflect on it so that then you can communicate effectively with the other party. The triggers are the gateway to your needs. Man, drop the mic. I think we can stop right there. That's, that's amazing. And yeah, I don't know how to follow that up. That was so, so good. Okay, so what I will say is all the things you just said help to illustrate why we actually truly do need it because it helps us. And if we're not listening closely or paying attention, then that mirror effect is lost. And so the other thing I think we really need to be doing is stretching our empathetic muscle. What I mean by that is we all have the ability to be empathetic, but I think sometimes we kind of choose not to for being right. Like we are like, okay, I'm not going to be empathetic. Like you don't consciously think I'm not going to be empathetic, but you do think I'm right. And that's a problem. If you always think I'm right, your opinion is the right one, your ability to navigate into some kind of negotiation moment or phase, it's drastically minimized. So what I suggest is put yourself in that other person's shoes and really think what it feels like to be them, understanding why they might have a different point of view, what that different point of view might be. And then you can come to it at a place where it's actually a lot more fair. If you only hold on to your opinion and your opinion is so close to you that you just can't get rid of it, you won't get rid of it, and you don't take the time to be empathetic with that other person's opinion, you're going to have a really hard time and a struggle to resolve conflict before it escalates to that critical tipping point where it does and often can become a crisis. I love that you talk about not being right or wrong. I always tell my clients that you can either choose to be right or wrong, or you can choose to be connected. 
And when you make it about winning or losing or this very black and white, all or nothing thinking, you're creating more of a gulf between yourself and the person that you're in conversation with. So I just love that you brought that up. Here's something super tactical that a lot of people may not even know exists, which is conflict mapping. So actually, this gives you an opportunity to visualize conflicts using tools like a conflict map or a diagram, which can help you understand what the underlying causes are. That's really important. Like, what's the root cause? And once you understand that connection between the different aspects of the conflict, that can help to lead to a deeper connection and insight so that you could come to a solution. If you don't understand that root cause, you're kind of left maybe just guessing. And that's never a recipe for success. So get to the root cause. Use a conflict map. Have you heard of conflict mapping before? And What's your knowledge of it? I have. It's a technique that leaders can actually apply when they're trying to resolve conflict within their teams. Because as you mentioned, it's about really looking at what the problem is. What's the actual problem? Like a leader might think that the problem is that the employee hasn't submitted their work on time. But what's the actual cause of that? Is it a lack of clarity, a lack of systemic support? Did they need more instruction? right? What happened there? So HBR talks about how leaders can navigate these types of situations. And one of the things that they talk about you first focusing on is the problem itself and understanding the current situation and how it affects your organization at large. And then, of course, taking this into a collaborative problem-solving process where you have to understand everyone's best interests before considering possible solutions. This is often where I see leaders go wrong because they come in with a predetermined plan that they've already made assumptions about what's actually happening and what the other party desires. And so then the solutions are very one-sided. And having this collaborative process in place ensures that both parties are able to express what they need and get those needs met. And then from there, you need to be able to provide feedback because the confrontation of these problems, the addressing of these problems is going to need to happen sooner rather than later. So Learn how to give good feedback. Check out our feedback episode where we talk about this and learn ways to be able to get some sort of idea of how this conflict resolution process is working for the other party involved. This can involve asking really good open-ended questions, operating from a place of positive intent and optimism, describing through I statements, how a situation makes you feel as opposed to projecting that blame onto other people. And of course, being very specific about what the challenges are and what the solutions will be that get put into place. And lastly, this is the part that I found the most interesting, is the article encourages you to choose a role. So if you didn't know this, there are actually different roles that we play in conflict resolution. These include taking on the roles of the provider, the teacher, the bridge builder, the mediator, the arbiter, the equalizer, the healer, the witness, the referee, or the peacekeeper. So you're going to want to think about this. You're going to want to consider these different roles and find which one best fits, most authentically fits with you as a leader as you're navigating these situations within your organization. And that will help you to determine the best pathway forward. Yeah, that, that's my favorite part of the article too. I think the role piece is fascinating to think about, especially as it brings more awareness and consciousness to like what exactly you're doing and why you're doing it. It kind of gives you a framework 
in a sense, an identity to help guide your decisions. When you have that identity in place, you start making decisions that relate back to, okay, if I'm the teacher, how should I be reacting or responding in the situation? Here are two good ones that I also think could be enormously helpful. Now, we all hear, write a journal. I don't really love just the general write a journal, but I do like this. Write a conflict journal. And it's not that I don't like journaling in general. My point is, I think having intention behind the journal helps. So in this particular case, you can actually have a journal that's dedicated to conflict. Why do you do this? Well, you record your thoughts, your emotions, and your reflections, especially in the moment, at the time. And what this could allow you to do is, one, it could allow you to put your thoughts down on paper, which is always a good thing, especially if maybe you're not sure how to respond. So you could do this in real time. You can also do it afterwards and both have benefits. So you can do a reflection afterwards, talk about what's, what's happened. This helps you gain clarity and it gives, gives you some insight, track the patterns. So you could use this both in the moment of a conflict, but also post-conflict. So it helps with future conflicts. This gives you the ability to develop some strategies and a better awareness of the inner workings of how you respond to conflict. And this gives you a chance to be totally blunt and honest and just let it all hang out. Don't ever, ever censor yourself in your own journal. It's your journal. It's your chance to put it out on paper. But I really, really believe that your ability to channel all of that emotion and put it down and reflect in on the page, it could lead to helping you into the situation that you're currently in. And it could also help you in the situation you might find yourself in in the future. I love what you're saying about basically putting out on the page what you're feeling. And I, I look at that as a conflict choreography in a way where you're playing out how you would envision this to go. What are your feelings? What are you going to say? What's their potential response? And just using that anticipation, being able to anticipate what may be to come can help you to visualize how you want to show up in the midst of that conflict, in that conversation. So I just love that tip. And the other tip is this, take some time to do a conflict detox. What do I mean by that? You probably, even your journal might tell you when you have the most conflict. So for me, my conflict, I could just tell you with my wife happens in the car or on the way to the car. We might be running late. Motions are running high. We're trying to get where we need to go. It happens more than I like to admit where there's some sort of heated escalation that crescendos in the car. And so I know that to be the case. So sometimes we drive separate. Sometimes we choose to drive in a different way. And so this detox is something that I do for this specific thing for me. But for you, it might be, hey, social media. It might be news. It might be negative environments in general. Give yourself a break from those things. And this break can help to regain perspective and reduce the overall stress that you have in conflict. Conflict is stressful. No one's going to argue that. Giving yourself that break helps to decompress, gives you a chance to revisit things that in the future, you might be a little bit more calmer, be in a little bit better headspace so that you could resolve them in a better way. And then there's sort of the cousin to a conflict detox, which is creating conflict-free zones. So like I mentioned before, I have a specific place where I often have conflict. So maybe that's the car. You can also do this for time windows. Maybe you set a certain time of day or a certain place where you don't or choose not to have conflict. It could be in the workplace, could be family, could be social, right? If you know you're prone to have a conflict, 
a certain time of day or a certain place. Avoid those places for at least a short time to, to see how that helps. And giving yourself that distance can really, really help to create a greater likelihood that you're able to resolve those conflicts later because it gives you a chance to reflect. And reflection is so important. The other thing this does is it forces us to focus on positive. I think when we're embedded in conflict, we actually kind of reduce the chance that we could think about things from a solution-oriented mindset. So create conflict-free zones in any place you think might have a greater likelihood. And it could. It could be place or time. Anywhere you have a greater likelihood to have conflict, make that a conflict-free zone. Have a mutual agreement with other people who you may be having a conflict with that, hey, this is a conflict-free zone. We're not going to have a conflict at this time or in this place. I totally agree with that. And another thing to think about with leadership specifically is we all have the ability, as you've said, to model, but we also have the ability to teach. And I think investing in conflict education is an absolute must for every organization. And quite frankly, I don't think it's done very often. Some organizations, I'm sure, hit the mark, but I think probably a bunch don't. I can tell you, for me, I don't think I ever took any kind of conflict training. Maybe it was a module in an HR training that I took, but it certainly wasn't in depth. Even this this particular episode, we can't go as in depth as maybe we could or maybe we should on this important topic of conflict. So if you're a leader, especially if you're a leader who has a position where you can make decisions, make the decision to invest in conflict because we already know that it helps with creativity. We already know that it helps with problem solving. We know it helps with decision-making. We know it helps with innovation. All these things are areas where it can help. But guess what? If you allow conflict to get into crisis zone, then you haven't managed the conflict the right way. When you educate people on conflict, they learn about conflict dynamics. They learn the art of negotiation. Sure, you want to get some of what you want, but you also want to understand what the other person wants so you could come to a mutual agreement. You're able to work on your communication skills in a way that will allow you to avoid the crisis zone. And education also empowers people because it gives them the confidence that they can actually handle conflict effectively. One of the greatest mind shifts you can make is to not think about the person who you're having a conflict with as an adversary. Instead, think of them as a partner. This idea of having conflict partners as opposed to conflict adversaries is really important because I think we are hardwired to immediately oppose them and to resist them and to push them back and to not listen. All the things that we shouldn't be doing, we're sort of hardwired to do. And so if you find middle ground, you find middle ground because it's a partner. You find middle ground because it's someone that you want to figure out, how can I agree with this person? How can I find a solution that we'll both be happy with? That won't happen if you take the adversary approach, but it's very likely to happen if you take the partnership approach. You kind of got to think of conflict like a dance and use conflict choreography which really infuses principles of dance into those situations where we have a heated moment. So as you choreograph the timing and the sequence and the tone of communication, it helps to minimize misunderstandings and more importantly, maximize the effectiveness. When you really understand the art of how to choreograph a conflict, you get to a solution that's mutually beneficial and mutually accepted by all parties before it reaches the hot zone. I love this concept because we can all relate to the art of understanding the nuance 
of dancing. We don't really apply it to the world of conflict unless we're really intentional about it. Have that kind of intention with the way we handle conflict. If we have that kind of intention with the way we handle conflict, our ability to find solutions quickly will be tremendously enhanced. And the last piece of advice I'll mention here is we got to celebrate. You hear celebrate the wins, celebrate the conflict. And you don't need to put it in that way exactly, but conflict will give you more innovation, more creativity, all these things we're talking about. So we have to celebrate when it happens. And so being able to effectively communicate, not getting into the nitty gritty of all the parts of the conflict, but what was the outcome? Where have we landed as a result of this conflict? This kind of positive reinforcement creates a culture where conflicts are seen more as opportunities as opposed to challenges. They're opportunities for growth and improvement. And every organization wants that. Every family wants that. Every relationship needs that. And so conflict doesn't need to be a dirty word. What starts as a conflict can absolutely end as positive change. Conflict can be controversial, but it doesn't have to be that way. Hopefully through our conversation today, you're coming away with a much better understanding of how conflict can actually be beneficial in your life and some real life strategies that you can apply today and the next time that you're talking to your partner, to your children, to your boss, to your friends, to anybody who you are in relationship with in your life. Use these tips and tools as a way to help you to navigate these stressful situations because when you have a game plan of how you're going to approach it, It takes the pressure and the burden off of you in the moment to try to figure it out. If you enjoyed the insights and perspectives you've gained from ReLearned, please consider following the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're grateful for your support, and we look forward to being a part of your transformational journey. 